Coming to you from the Morningstar Mission sponsored studio, this is Carl and Crew Mornings. Helping you take your next step with Jesus. That's what we're all about here, Allie. Do you, have you ever counted your steps? Have you ever worn a, some sort of a tracker? It's funny that you say, oh, steps. I thought you were meaning steps with Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Do you still have your step tracker? Oh, I do. And uh, my daughter wears one too, so she's always uh, trying to compete with me. That's which great. It's never even a competition. Just, Mom, how, how are your steps doing? Oh, I'm somewhere around uh, 3,400. I have 11,000. <laughs> it's always way more. So well, mom doesn't take nearly as many steps in a day as my active 13-year-old. All we need you to take today is one giant step. Just one. And we've got some content that will help you do that. Get your info from a source you can trust. It's Ask the Experts Week with Carlin Crew Mornings. All right, we teed this up with a question that's kind of opened up. I mean, we're talking about how destructive secrets are with our experts today, Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg. They are America's Family Coaches. By the way, if you want to find out more about them, americasfamilycoaches.com, americasfamilycoaches.com. That's going to be your keyword today. You can find it. And we got a follow-up question to this one, Allie. Yeah, this is, speaking of secrets, this is a wife who found out a 17-year secret her husband had been keeping. He had a drug habit, and he got help. He confessed. He feels like he's changed. Recently had a slip-up. What do I do? Do I forgive and support, or is it time to get out? You know, Allie, um, you support, and then you enter into the volitional aspect of forgiveness but that doesn't come right out of the gate. What do you mean volitional aspect of forgiveness? We need to choose to forgive. Uh, years ago, I was coaching a, a couple. Um, and actually, the, the, the earlier in the day, I was coaching a dad and a teenage son. The teenage son was giving the dad heartburn. It reminded me of me giving my dad heartburn growing up in Waukegan, Illinois. And uh, the dad was exasperated. The kid was exasperated. <clears throat> and they sat with me and the dad said, I want to forgive him. And I said, how can you forgive him with the offenses that he has done? There's a lot of stuff that has to happen Amen. Before you get to forgiveness. Amen. Forgiveness is a transactional word in scripture. And it is volitional. It's a choice. You have to choose to do it. But how often do we sit respectfully in a 20 minute sermon and a guy's trying to preach on forgiveness? And at the end of the sermon, he goes, now everyone bow your heads and forgive for the deep violations of the wounding of your heart, for the abuse from that family member, from the abandonment of a parent, from the sexual breaking, from the, uh, maybe this case where there was drugs and there was all the stuff and, well, I got to choose to forgive. I got to choose to forgive. And people bow their head well-intentioned yep. with a well-intentioned pastor yep. saying, choose to forgive, but they get out in the parking lot and they want to wring somebody's neck. Yeah. That's because there are deep wounds. So does she need to stay with him and support? I would say yes. But the forgiveness will come with time, but they got to process the hurt, the betrayal, the fear, the anger. We pray not reach into bitterness and resentment and isolation, but then move spiritually together through communication, through resolving conflict, through getting help, and through stepping back into the process uh, with the humility that only God can do. Then they move towards forgiveness. And then, Allie, what Barb and I have learned is when there's a deep violation within a relationship, and your listeners know exactly what that is, and we know what it is. When, when there's that deep hurt and you just say, not again, 
or how could this happen to us or not my kid and his spouse or whatever it is. We have learned that it takes 18 to 24 months to rebuild the trust in the relationship. So this gal probably after that 17 year secret. Yeah. Chose to forgive. The guy's probably done remarkably well and he has resisted falling countless times. And he has now hit a hard place. So do you abandon? No, you don't abandon. But do you keep your eyes wide open and go low in your relationship with Christ in humility? Because God wants to restore that relationship. Yeah. But it's going to be a, a long road home. Okay, really quick. Let's follow this up. Um, because some men are more inclined to say, I ask for forgiveness. Why won't you forgive me? I think... Uh, we need to talk to them in particularly men, but this happens with women as well, particularly men who say, I'm broken. I'm blowing snot out of both nostrils. The time there is time that needs to be given. I, I've heard this so many times from men. Yeah. My wife won't forgive me. And I'm like, brother, there's a violation of trust here that yeah. takes time to rebuild. What are the b biggest rebuilding components when a man has confessed sin. Well, I, I think, Carl, Barb and I talk about four steps um, to forgiveness. And this sounds trite even saying it like that. But if you, if you extricate any of the four, it cheapens it. Uh, the first one is the confession. So when I and say... be about, clear. Yeah, I am wrong. Yeah. And, and clear about what? So what is the behavior? Where is there a conviction in the heart of Gary Rosberg where I need to confess it and say, I am wrong? And you start there. And then you say what our mom and dad told us to say. When you, get, when you bust the chops of your neighbor or your little brother or whatever, they say, well, say you're sorry. Well, we're not sorry. We're just sorry because we got busted. So if we, say, if we start with I'm wrong, that's the behavior. Number two, I am sorry. That, that's a constructive sorrow that Paul writes about. Yes. Then number three is what distinguishes us as biblical Christians, and it is called repentance. Yeah. Right on, brother. I, I was teaching a bunch of military up at Fort Drum in New York in January. So don't go to Fort Drum in New York in January. <laughs> Unless um, you're speaking indoors. Yeah, because it was just mountains of snow. And that's where they trained the guys in the white suits to be snipers and stuff. But a young 19-year-old private said, Dr. Osberg, do you know what we call repentance in the Army? And I said, what soldier? He said, we call it an about face. Hmm. And, and then he stood up. And there were several hundred soldiers in there. And he stood up. And he said, this is what it looked like. And he's marching in a direction. He said, when God convicts a man and he stops and he turns, but he said, Dr. Osper, we don't just turn. Do you know what we do next? And I had no idea. I said, what? And he said, we march in another direction. Yeah, that's right on. That's, that's biblical repentance. repentance. That's biblical repentance. Turn around. I am wrong. I am sorry. And when I exercise biblical repentance with my bride of almost 48 years this June, it's Barb, I don't ever, ever, ever want to hurt you again like I hurt you. So could there be some snot coming out of the nose? Could there be some tears? Yes, but it's a remorse that isn't just caught up in the moment. It's a long sense of yeah. that kind of surrender. And yeah. then it's the question, will you forgive me? Right. And we often go to Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens it, I will come in and dine with him. And as believers and followers of Christ, 
that's the repentance scripture, you know, that we will yes. often use. So this isn't biblical interpretation, it's application. But when you knock at that door, when I knock at Barb's door, <laughs> I mean, I'll make it just between us. When I knock at Barb's door, because I know I've hurt her, I've wounded her, I've done something stupid again, and God's convicted me. Um, because I don't want to dishonor God and certainly don't want to dishonor Barb, but I don't want to dishonor God. And when that work is done and I say, will you forgive me? It opens up the door to move close and yeah. to be in a crazy way, like a God with skin on. And when that forgiveness is granted, the key to this alley, and it's for that, that couple yeah, is the rebuilding of the trust. And that takes, we've learned a year and a half, two years sometimes until the resiliency the flow, the ease, the laughter starts to come. Yeah. And Carl, most guys, and I'm with you, and, and, and I've done this for a long time. Most guys, when they offend, they get angry. They skip over the hurt and stuff. They get angry, and then they want to fix it. Yeah. And they want, they want I said, forgive me. You know, will you forgive me? Why won't you forgive me? They go to that. We go to that in our flesh. But God wants to do a much deeper work. Yeah, I'm working with a couple right now. It's a, it's the flip side. The woman went and she had a, uh, frankly, the nature of the infidelity was so ravaging to this guy's soul. She wanted to see this marriage restored quickly. Yeah. And my bride and I let her know this is going to be a long walk out yeah. of Georgia here, young lady. Yeah. And you know what's really cool? I saw the guy on Sunday. Put my arm around him. I said, how you doing? He says, I'm warming up. There you go. I'm warming up. But um, I almost cry thinking about it. Well, you should but cry it thinking about it. It. Doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. That's the point. And if you're listening right now going, oh, how long will this be? Don't look at the journey. Keep your eyes on the reward. Because, baby, it's going to be good down the road, right, guys? Well, and what Barb Rosberg says is you're one day closer to the Today, healing. Right. You're one day <laughs> You're one day closer. Going from believers of Jesus to followers of Jesus. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Okay, we're going back here to the questions. Well, we have a husband and wife who are divided over finances. One can say the husband considers himself the earner. He says she's the spender. She has not worked since COVID. She isolates at home and it's taken a toll on the marriage. What do you say? Yeah, well... I you know, it's interesting, Allie. We, we did call on the radio uh, with Salem and Ambassador for 15 years daily. And when we would get... Wait a minute. No, no, no. It was 23 years. Well, it was 23 years. <laughs> but who's counting? Yeah, it was dog years. I think. There were seven years that didn't count. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, those are really bad. I did bad radio on those years. But, um, Sorry. That's funny. I they, was an eyewitness. All right. In fact, they called it the Barb Rosberg and what's his name show. So no, it is. Oh, I'll bet money was a big issue. It's a huge issue. And we would usually default to Dave Ramsey is what but that's right. right, right, right. And, and we know Dave a little bit. And we'd say, Dave, we're sending them to you. It, the, the, money is not that issue, Allie. Yeah. Now, that being said, financial stress and deep uh, career and pain in the workplace are two of the main things that erode the health of a marriage. So when a woman is really hurting in her job, when a guy's really hurting in his job, and there's financial stress or financial stress, those, we need to figure out a way to alleviate that kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. So that couple ultimately doesn't have a money issue. They've got, and it's not just a communication issue, but they've got to put a lot of this stuff in the light. 
I mean, they need bleach on this. I mean, it, no, no secrets. Uh, they got to come up with a strategy and a plan, just like a radiologist does when they throw that uh, x-ray thing up there and you look at it together and you can see it. So I would say they need sunlight on their finances. They need a coach that gets finances, decision-making, how do you set this? And then they need to start to see the little wins and celebrate the little wins because those will turn into the big wins. And guys like Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University, we think are really good go-to groups because that couple's got, there's no way in the world that couple has a reason. They don't have a biblical reason for divorce. So if they came to Barb and I as marriage coaches or me when I was doing counseling, we would say there's not, there's not a, there's nothing here to divorce. Yeah. Now there is something here to divorce us from these, these things that are killing us, Mm -hmm. but we got to join together and do that in unity. Yeah. But they need help and they need someone that loves them and will saddle up with them and walk through it. Yeah. So what about this isolation piece? One spouse is isolating the sleeping in different rooms uh, on different schedules. I mean, the money is almost tangential uh, to two spouses kind of coexisting, but living separate lives. You know, um, in one of our books, Divorce Proof Your Marriage, and I think it's also under the title of The Six Secrets of a Lasting Love. We talk about the entropy that can happen to your marriage. I mean, anything we don't take care of will die. It's the natural course of relationships, of taking care of ourselves, et cetera. Mm. So you can start at the dream marriage and it can go down to an entropy where at the end of the marital map in this book, we talk about two people living under the same roof, but really living separate lives. This couple that that called in with this question is living probably in discord. And when there's a spirit of discord, and I think we need to examine this spiritually, God loves it when we live with a spirit of unity. And I, I thought, oh, I'm so glad we're coming up to a break because I love the verse in Psalm 133 that says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. The Lord loves that. Goes on, he describes it as it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is of the dew of Hermon, worth falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing. And you know what I wrote in my my Bible right here? I said, November 1st, 2022, Moody Radio, Carl and the crew. (laughs) So when we were on last, we... I think that was Allie. It must have been Allie and Carl too. God longs for us to experience the blessing that has resulted from seeking unity. Yeah. Pressing into our pain. Yes. Pushing through, pushing out what is dividing us. Yeah, that is good. You've got questions, they've got answers. It's Ask the Experts Week with Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got Gary and Barb Rosberg with us this morning as we are on Ask the Expert Week. Today we're tackling marriage. If this one came in from a longtime married couple, married nearly 40 years, they've got kids, a couple grandkids. They're happy, they have fun, but the wife says, I just we just don't have that spiritual intimacy. We go to church together, but the spiritual intimacy is not there. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to speak at Promise Keepers, and uh, including Soldier Field in 1997. Um, and I would have countless women come up to me, either on radio or at events. Uh, they weren't typically at, at, at those men's events. And say, you know, Gary, I love that you help men. Um, 
both at Cross Trainers, our men's deal in Des Moines, as well as PK and these places, and you write to men, I would do anything to have the intimacy with my husband that I see my husband have with other guys. And hmm. I thought about that so often. And I think about it, Allie, now as you ask that, that question, when a woman is yearning for that spiritual intimacy, and Barb's going to weigh in on this, but the one thing that I want to say is most guys, starting with Gary Rosberg, uh, when I met Barb, I think you knew like three verses or, you know, we were just outside the <laughs> Jesus Revolution. So it was 1973. So we had, we came to Christ well, right... And you're, when you say you thought I knew three verses... Uh, well, I didn't you know thought, any. But you thought that was like the whole Bible. I know. I, I mean, that's I, what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, Barb came to Christ, and, and then I met her, and I wanted really nothing to do with Jesus. I just wanted something to do with this with Barb. beautiful girl that just transferred into our school. And I was like, yippee-i-ki-yay, was, yeah. was what I was thinking. And uh, and then Barb started to share with me. And I remember, Allie and Carl, I just remember so vividly thinking I could never approximate her experience with Jesus the way she does. I mean, she is, I mean, she's memorized verses. I mean, she, she'll initiate prayer. She'll say, let's go to church. I mean, she'll, and I felt inadequate. A lot of guys sense this inadequacy. So they don't lean into spiritual intimacy out of strength. They usually lean into spiritual intimacy when they're on their face over failure or setback or hurt or fear and our wives, it's kind of like the last question. You can't critically draw or pull a man into spiritual intimacy. It's got to be done when he's got a teachable spirit. It's guys that get surrounded by other guys. So it's yeah. a local church, Carl. Yeah. It's what happens when men, you know, shoulder up with other guys yeah. and they see it modeled. And then what Barb and I teach, and we've taught it all over the world, is the simplest way to connect um, in conversational prayer. And it's something that is foundational in our teaching and modeling in helping marriages. And uh, we, we model it and, and we've done it, you know, Malaysia and Singapore and Africa and all over the world modeled and showed people how to pray and had more people come back and go, that takeaway is the most empowering thing. Cause we just don't know how to do it. Yeah. The, the pressure that men feel. Yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day, a man has to get broken. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no shortcut for that. No they don't get cajoled or talked into devotion to Jesus Christ. So they got to get broken. But Barb, what does a woman, how does a woman posture herself so that she doesn't feel that he does not feel that pressure to be a man that he frankly is not? Oh, Carl, I wish I could give you the one, two, three step. And it would be so clear, just like a plan to follow Jesus. Yeah, but wouldn't that be good? It's messy. And marriage is messy. And we come into the marriage and we hope for the best. But oftentimes those are hard days. I mean, life is hard in this dark world. So get down on your own knees. I say this to every one of us as women. And if there's anyone listening, allow yourself to go right to your knees and just talk to the Savior as though he's your very best friend. Because he is. He is. And share everything that's on your heart. Get it all out. Write it all out. Just write it all out and then tear it up and let the Lord surrender it to the Lord. But then tell him what's on your heart about yourself. Confess your sins, the Bible says, to one another and pray for one another. 
for the prayers of the righteous man availeth much. Uh, We will pray for you today. We will pray for those of you that are listening as we drive home today. But we will lift you up before the Lord and we will leave room for God to work in your heart. I talk to you as a woman because you have to leave room for God in your marriage with your husband. Let God be God in your husband's heart. There's a channel. There is a room for God and only God can work in that chamber of his heart. You can set the tone. You can set the spiritual tone and pray over your own heart, your own home, your own marriage, but allow God to be God in your husband's life. Oh, man, life. I, I got to tell you something right now. Mm-hmm. That is pure power right there. That's where the power is. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've been uh, doing a series down at 180 Chicago called Below the Waterline, Unseen Things That Change mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. It's about spiritual disciplines. But the interesting thing about real transformation is that there there has to come a time where you have these gut, honest conversations with God. And oftentimes we have conversations in our head, conversations with ourselves, conversations with friends. But Barb, I got to tell you, sister, that laying it out, you look at the great psalmist, you look at the great prophets, you look at Elijah, he's like, God, where are you? Yep. Where are you? And I'll tell you what, it was the cry of the soul in a cave that God showed him. I'm in this whisper. Whisper. Yeah. Okay. We got another question. Yeah. A quick definitional one for someone who's going, what does spiritual intimacy mean? I do not understand this concept. I'm married to an unbeliever. I don't know what you mean by spiritual intimacy. Can you just in a quick window answer what that means? Well, it's typically what we will say, we wrote a book, the five love needs of men and women. So how do men meet women's needs? How do women meet husband's needs? But what we say is if you just do that behaviorally in the horizontal relationship and you don't do that out of the vertical relationship where the power comes from that Barb and Carl just mentioned, then you're, it's for naught. So there's all sorts of behavioral psychologists that write books on how to meet each other's needs. And there's some Christian guys that write books on that, but it's not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we would say is the spiritual intimacy is that vertical relationship with Jesus Christ that is sold out, that is surrendered that experiences conviction of sin. And we seek the Lord and the creator of the universe as the one that fills our heart. And then the spillover alley of that relationship for the guy and that relationship for the woman then spills into spiritual intimacy of the connection of two broken people, both pursuing the power of God. That's good. And so if this gal is married to an unbeliever, she, and I say this with deep love, she, she likely doesn't know what spiritual intimacy is for him or for them, but she does for herself. That's good. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Okay, guys, we are in a week called Ask the Experts Today, Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg. By the way, if you want information on them, great resources, go to americasfamilycoaches.com, americasfamilycoaches.com. We're going to get some questions in right now. A wife who has growing resentment toward her husband. When something stressful comes up, he turns to alcohol, makes reckless decisions. Sometimes he disappears for more than a day. I react in anger out of fear of what his decisions could lead to. When he comes home, he's sorry. He knows he didn't make the right decision, but I don't feel he truly understands how his actions affect me. Well, he, I mean, quite simply, uh, Ellie, he's just, he is doing what his flesh knows how to do. So when a guy gets backed into a corner, he's got a repertoire of behavior 
And what I tell guys is when they go below the waterline, yeah. to your point, that's when guys invariably screw up. So when we go subterranean, when a guy goes subterranean, he's, a, he's at incredible risk. And he doesn't only need a wife to come alongside of him. He needs men that love him enough that they're not impressed with him. And that's what I, def- that's why I love Carl. Cause Carl and I are good, good friends and have been friends for a long time. Carl will speak truth into me and I'll speak it into you brother. Cause I love you. Yeah. And I care more about you as you care about me and God finding us faithful than whether or not we're going to, you know, enjoy each other in a discussion if there ever was. And we've never had one of those hard discussions, right? but we know we can because we build the relationship for the times that the storms come. Yeah. That guy needs a guy that loves him enough that isn't going to blow smoke when the storm comes. So instead of saying, I'm in a jam, I've made a financial decision, I've got a temptation, there is a guy that is on rotocall or whatever you call that thing, 24 hours a day that you can reach out to and just say, I'm here, let's go have a cup of coffee and let me just be the pressure release valve for you. And know that that guy knows Christ because if that guy doesn't bring Christ and some other, if he brings some higher power to it, you're up a crick. So you need <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's yes. the only higher power that you need because short of that, you better come up with something better and there's nothing better. So I think what it means is you build the cadre of safe guys in the good times as well as the tough times because a wife needs the strength of the masculinity of another man because, and I'm, and this is a gender issue for me, a woman's femininity, she, she can do it. And you've got countless listeners that are doing it. I mean, they can be both mom and dad. They can do that stuff. But at that bottom line, at the end of the day, it's not God's design. And that's why we need a man and a woman in a relationship. And we need strong men that yeah, love we us. We need strong men. It's interesting. I forget who the gentleman was that was in here just a couple of months ago, Allie. It was Mr. Washington. He had uh, been a big PK speaker. Yeah, Raleigh. Yeah, Raleigh. Yeah, I know Raleigh forever. Oh, that's funny. This is is of the Lord then. Raleigh challenged me. He got up and got out of here and he looked at me because I was talking. He made a bold statement sitting right where you guys are. And he said, you know what? You want to see this country turned around? We need men's ministry again. Mm. He said, we have put men on a shelf. And he said, that's if I could do anything at all to see restoration in our families, homes, and country, it would be, let's get men being men again. Well, Raleigh has done it. I I mean, we were shoulder to shoulder for 15 years with PK. And when God speaks to a guy like Raleigh in Washington and gives him that kind of conviction and he proclaims that over you, you know what? He's right. Yeah. Carl. And, and he's a good guy to saddle up with. Um, because he's got the history and he's got the capacity and he's got the well, wisdom. Let me tell you something. That brother is rich in faith. When he yeah. when, when he walked out of here, Rally and I looked at each other going, that was good. holy yeah. smokes. New to the show? Stick around for a while. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Special guest with me right now. I call him the Gospel Man. He's the 10th president of Moody Bible Institute, founding pastor of New Life Community Churches across Chicagoland, by the way, newlifechicago.org. If you're looking for a church, there might be one of these near you, newlifechicago.org, pastor and Dr. Mark Job. How you doing, young man? 
I'm doing great. It's the end of the year. We're uh, looking forward <laughs> to uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus the Christ in a massive way and excited to see what God will bring in in this new year. Yeah, that's great. Year-end giving, there's a lot of talk about this, but the reality is, let's just break it down. There are some practical stewardship advantages to making year-end gifts, and there's spiritual impact that can be made. Give an appeal for Moody Bible Institute, Mark. For many ministries and non-for-profits, December is the most crucial year in their budget. Moody is no different. December is a critical year because a lot of people at the end of the year decide to give a year in donation. By the way, I love that about America. This is true not only of Christians, but non-Christians alike, that we tend to be a, a generous country. And so the end of year is a big time for all of us. And Carl, I, I believe that the Bible says that wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so I think that our money follows our heart. There's no a lot of great, important causes out there. But you know what unites what we call Moody Bible Institute? Moody Radio has programming across the nation, in Africa, other places. Moody Publishing, 3.5 million books a year. Today in the Word, almost a million subscribers to that. Yeah. We have our school. We have our aviation. What unites all this is at Moody is the priority of the good news of Jesus. It's the gospel. Yeah. We prepare people to live on mission, but what has started this ministry 137 years ago is the gospel of Jesus Christ, started by an evangelist. So I think there's no higher cause to give to than the advancement of the gospel. Amen. Yeah. And so your treasure goes to where your heart is at. If your heart is in the gospel, if your heart is in the good news, evangelism, seeing people come to Christ, knowing the good news of Jesus, proclamation, then I, I'm hard-pressed to think of a better place to give for the priority of the gospel than Moody Bible Institute. And so I unabashedly, unashamedly appeal to you at the end of the year would you give a year in gift to Moody Bible Institute? We will squeeze all we can out of it to let people know about Jesus. If you don't believe in the gospel, if that's not a high priority, if that's not something that you say I'm committed to, then do not give to Moody because we will use your money for the purposes <laughs> of the gospel. That's so exactly just warning right. you in advance. Just warning you in advance. We know where this cheddar is going. Oh, that's great. Mark Job, I love you, brother. You're a good man man. And uh, thanks for soldiering shoulder to shoulder with all of us here, not being above anyone, but just uh, being a good servant leader. We love you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Love you guys too, Carl and crew. Thank you again for what you guys do every single morning and wake up at those I should I want crazy to say hours, godly, but maybe they're <laughs> no, godly they're godly hours, hours. <laughs> godly hours in the morning to help minister to a lot of people. Hey, have a great December. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Listen, if you want to give this end of year gift, we'd love for you to be a part. Text give to 312-274-9624. Get a link. Let's go, Boom Crew. Let's do it. Let's have a revival of gospel and fund it in a big way. Text GIVE to 312-274-9624. When you don't know, who better to ask than an expert? You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. 
Well, what do you do when you got a marriage question? We've got Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg in answering. They are America's family coaches. They have extensive experience, life and marriage coaching. The one on the table, husband and wife married 34 years. The wife is kind of angry. The husband decided to take on a second job so he can retire early. It's causing all kind of problems. He didn't discuss it. He just kind of made the decision unilaterally. How do I navigate this? Gary, I think (laughs) there's two parts to this. You're going to cover one. I'm going to cover cover the other. Um, Mine is sort of a universal um, solution I want to put out there. And that is this, that when we are communicating in marriage uh, for years, Gary would uh, think of a lot of different great ideas. And Mm -hmm. I would listen and I would join in the conversation. I'd communicate and I would I would think hey, we're having just a conversation around this. But when we left the room, Gary already had the airplane uh, reservations made, flight Mm, planned. I mean, we were going. And this was startling because I thought we were having a conversation. So uh, the universal solution right now is that there are two ways to communicate. One is when we're green light thinking. And the other is when we are having a transactional conversation. So Gary and I learned in our messy, messy formation of marriage, and in order to love one another and walk in more unity, sweetheart, is this green light thinking or is this a transaction? Which brought us brought us both back to the point of what are we doing in this conversation? We're having a conversation. That means it's reciprocity. We're going back and forth. It's like playing a game of tennis. One talks, the other one talks, and we join in the idea of wisdom. But when it's transactional, that means making a big change, then we need to make that call. Is this transactional? Gary, go ahead. And Barbara, I piggyback on that, that I think she can go back to her husband and say, when you made this decision, it was transactional, and we did not discuss it together. And so doing that puts me in a tough situation. And then, Carl, the other thing I would look at with this guy is he is doing what God created him to do, and that is to provide. Yeah. But what typically we do in our culture and the way many of us were raised, and certainly our dads and grandpas, it was financial provision. And we miss the spiritual provision, the relational provision, and being there. So they've been married 34 years. What I would say is the guy's motive is probably gold. But his methodology, he has missed something. I think you're right on. And so what he needs to do is an about face and realize that his investment portfolio is far more complicated and and comprehensive than the money that is in the bank. I mean, pursue, but pursue it within a boundary that you 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 strengthen your marriage and you don't put the marriage and your family and your wife and your kids on the altar of finance. Everything we're talking around about here this morning involves the need to have uh, intimate conversations. I want you guys in three minutes to give us what we've talked about, the four of us, Janine and I, and both of you, about the need to look at each other because mm-hmm. these drive, you know, we're out on a date and I mentioned, no, we got to have some focused communication. Otherwise, these roots of bitterness are going to grow and glorified roommate status just happens. 
And so let's go. How in the world do we start having conversations where we are distinguishing between green light and transactional? Where we're talking about when are we going to have sex for crying out loud? Yeah. When we're talking all this stuff. Yeah. How does that happen? Well, I mean, bottom line, what Barb and I coach and any couple that we've worked with knows that we we really do direct them to go to two chairs. So, Allie, you and your husband would need to identify two chairs in your home that when you go to those two chairs, you're not watching my Packers beat the Bears. You're not watching my Cubs beat the Sox. You're not. <laughs> yeah, you're sitting in those chairs not to talk about finances, not to argue, not to uh, plan your vacation. But you sit in those two chairs with the 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 environment, the milieu that's created for connection. And we coach couples, Carl, very specifically, yeah. you take at least 20 minutes a day that you begin to pattern. How do we do that kind of a connection where you're listening to one another, you're affirming one another, you're keeping eye contact and absolutely turning off technology. Technology yeah. will kill that kind of intimacy. And when you begin to build that pattern, then it goes from the two chairs to the front seat of the truck. And then it goes to sitting on a swing. Then it goes to taking a walk and it goes to laying in bed. And it goes to when you're sitting on an airplane or you're in church, that communication and that connection begins to kind of filter into those other areas. But you've got to be intentional. So when I go to my chair and Barb sees me and my grandkids see me or my daughter see me or my son-in-laws, they know I'm going to that chair because I desire for Barb to come for the connection. Yeah. And this is so important, guys, because I think... Um one of the great challenges that even Janana and I have faced is that it's easy to talk about life, but it's difficult to talk about our heart. Yeah. Mm. And a life only grows robustly mm. when our heart is understood. Yeah. And I know that may sound, some of you men say, I don't know if they, I need to have my heart understood. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely do. Well, you're absolutely right. We were telling uh, you, Carl and Allie, when we came in, that this reminds us of nine years in South Africa. So we would go for three or four weeks and speak, do about a dozen events across the country. And we'd go into CCFM, which is right on the Indian Ocean, and they're surfing outside. And we go in for the morning program with Jonathan Haller, our dear friend down there. And the Afrikaans uh, language has a term for I love you, and it's ekli yo. And ekli yo means I hold your heart. And so when we coach people to go to those two chairs, Hallie, if we had you and your, your husband, we would give you this little red uh, uh, silkstone uh, heart, and it's from Africa. And we'd have that little heart sitting right by those two chairs. And when you sat down, we would coach and instruct you, how do you take that heart when you need to open up something in your mind, in your heart, your spirit, your emotion, and you would hand it to your husband because he would be essentially doing what the South Africans call ekli for you. He would be holding your heart. It's and awesome Carl, stuff. holding the heart of your spouse, holding the heart of a teenager, holding the heart of an aging parent or of a friend is the most intimate thing we can do. Awesome stuff. Your spiritual pit stop to keep you going in the race. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Guys, I got to tell you, Ask the Experts just got a great response from someone. They said, I love, I love everything about the show this morning, and it's extremely powerful. Uh, we pray it is. that. And uh, here's, here's the truth, guys. Helping you take your next step with Jesus. Uh, sometimes the next step is difficult, but you got to keep your eyes on that prize. And that's why we're running this race. We love you. We really do. Dr. Gary and Barbara mm -hmm. Rosberger with us right now. They are... 
great marriage coaches. And we got a keyword for you. If you want to find out more about what they have written um, and uh, really uh, get some resources that'll help you, just text the word marriage. We got a keyword. We decided let's get a keyword. Yes. Make it easy for you. Marriage to 312-274-9624. Just text the word marriage. Okay. We got a question here that came in. That's uh, This is so common. Yes, a wife who wants her husband to be connected with other guys. She says in 17 years of our marriage, he's never had one consistent uh, believer, male friend in his life. He goes to church, but he's also not serving it much anymore. He's not leading in the home spiritually, has no accountability to a pastor or male friend. I've tried to encourage him for years. I don't think he understands how this is affecting us. Yeah, well, men in isolation uh, are at risk. It doesn't mean that every man that's in isolation messes up, but I do know after 40 years of helping men in marriages that men that are in isolation are at risk. We are not good alone. Uh, I wrote a book called Guard Your Heart, and I look at eight different uh, areas that a man is at risk. And one of those is sexual temptation, but the other seven aren't. (laughs) I mean, it's passivity, it's control, it's competition, it's relationship issues, it's different stressors. And so a man ultimately needs to be in relationship with other guys. And that takes time to build those relationships. So in the local church, I mean, Carl, we were talking in between uh, segments here that, I mean, Barb and I are launching something at Glen Ellen uh, Bible, just talking to some other married couples saying, how can we in that local church stir and motivate marriages to become all that God wants them to be, to experience the more in marriage? And part of what we're just stirring is the discussion to get people together to say, you know, what can marrieds do? What can guys do? What can gals do in order to connect? Because it's in the intimacy of the connection that that kind of man is going to take the risk to be known. So a guy doesn't just become known. He's got to step into the arena. So I would say to that wife, you know, encourage your husband, invite another couple into your home. Um, spend some time. You can do a study. We've written studies. Other people have written studies to just get into the arena so that he can become, uh, if you will, just open with other guys Mm -hmm. and realize that he's got something to say. Those guys got something to say and they can begin to connect. Yeah. And Carl, the local, if the local church is not affirming marriage, who the heck is? (laughs) Because the media isn't, the culture isn't. I mean, it's crazy out there. So it's within the body of Christ that we need to take a strong stand. And and Barb and I call that the great marriage experience. I mean, you can experience a great marriage and we love to help people learn to do that. The thing is, is that men learned a style of masculinity that we learned in the locker room or that we yeah. learned um, at a bar or yeah. we learned from the silence of our own dad that is the absolute 180 degree opposite of biblical masculinity. Yes, it is. So how does a man begin to learn? And there's a lot of men right now. I feel it in my heart right now, listening right now going, I want to be a good man. I think there's a whole lot of want to out there. Yeah. What would you say is the first step a man would take right now who's listening going, shoot, if my wife's listening, I'm the dude that's passive. Yeah. I struggle with passivity. Yeah. What do they do? Well, I I think there's... Passivity is one of the eight things I write about in Guard Your Heart. And because men are passive for a number of reasons. One is their dad didn't model it. Secondly, the strong assertion by a wife scares a guy. 
So a guy doesn't step forward because if he steps forward, he doesn't know how to do it. He almost steps further back. He steps further back. So a wife needs to step back and let him struggle with it so that he can begin to experience and then affirm the snot out of him when he does take a rest to do something well. I think, bottom line, men need men, Carl. Men need men that will just step into relationship with them. And sometimes that starts at a pancake breakfast at a church. Sometimes that starts by going to a men's conference with Iron Sharpens Iron or these other different opportunities. Just be in the arena with other men and then begin to test the waters on where are guys that could go below the waterline with you to help you begin to discover what God's got for you. Good stuff. Get your info from a source you can trust. It's Ask the Experts Week with Carlin Crew Mornings. Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg here. Got a real cool affirming word for you guys, and I don't need you to respond to this, but I'm just going to lay it out there. No question, just many thanks, says Patrick and Michelle Sloan. You don't even know them, I guarantee you. But they said, since 2016, my husband and I, now married 42 and a half years, Hmm. have been blessed to lead over 100 couples from our church through the Rosberg's Marriage 101 curriculum. We've used it to help pre-married couples build a godly marriage foundation. We've used it for what we call marriage boot camp Mm. for already married couples who want to refresh and improve their relationships. It works, exclamation point. Thank you so much, two exclamation points. May God continue to bless the Rosberg's ministry and to work through them to build strong, godly families, wow. Patrick oh. and Michelle Sloan. So, may yeah. God bless the Sloans. Yeah. And may... And he is. Their, and may, yes, and may their tribe increase yeah. in Jesus' right name. On. Yeah. Yes. Right on. Thank okay, you. Okay, got a question for you guys. This is a tough one. This is a wife texting in because she says her husband has zero desire for intimacy. They've been married five years. They both acknowledge that this is a problem, but the husband seems reluctant to really do much about it. The wife is feeling pretty hopeless. Disappointed. Disappoint, and I'm sure both of them are. You know, um, Gary, we have worked uh, with couples much younger mm-hmm. than this, and it could be any number of things. I think about testosterone in men. Um, it peaks at a certain point, and I, I can't tell you if it's 30 or 40 where or, it begins to wane. Yeah. yeah, well, wane. Oh, it yeah, peaks and wanes. Okay. Yeah. And then with women, we have our estrogen and then testosterone peaks in us. And there's there's variation in the rhythms of our human our human design, I guess. But, you know, we write about this in the five love needs of men and women. It's a book we wrote a number of years ago when libidos don't match. Yeah. And also in the five sex needs. So we wrote the book for oh, Tyndale House. Oh, I'm sorry. House. It was the five sex well, needs. Yeah. yeah, sorry. But that came out of the five love needs. Because yeah. the, the, the number two love need for men is sexual intimacy. Um, now, we are happy to report that the number two love, or the number 13 love need for women is sexual intimacy. We're just glad it made the list. And um, <laughs> because there was a Florida State study where sex came in 37th for pleasure for men, just beating out sewing. No, for, for, for women. women. Yeah. Or for women. Oh, yeah, yes. that was a good yeah. joke. Anyway, well, that Da-da-da-da-da. really happened. Yeah, yeah. Ching! <laughs> um, yeah. Something like that. I mean, okay, let's start over. So I, I'd encourage that, I would encourage that couple, they could go to americasfamilycoaches.com or go to uh, Amazon. Amazon 
um, and get the book, The Five Sex Needs oh, of Men yeah. and Women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And The Five Sex Needs of Men and Women, the subtitle is How to Have Great Sex, sex in, in a, a Godly, godly Marriage. marriage. Mm-hmm. And there is even an audio that we read. We came and a video. in here. No, but okay. We have a 12 part video, Carl. Oh, please. Now, is no. that awesome? You want okay. to smack him upside Gary. the head there, brother? <laughs> a 12 part video. Yeah, I do. Gary. That we shot Gary. here in Chicago. Eye contact right here. But right it, back to me. But it's got, here's what I'm saying to that couple, Allie. It's got very little to do with sex. Yeah. And so we have one chapter in the book, uh, Fun and Exciting Things in the Bedroom. It's chapter 15. It's the first chapter everybody reads. But the rest of the book is all about connection. But we also talked about when libidos don't when match. When libidos don't match. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, and I'm, I'm jumping in here because somebody really needs to know this. I mean, have they checked it out with the doctor? Oftentimes, one of the, the spouses is um, feeling very insecure about this. And might be isolated, might be living in a silo, might feel like they're not uh, worthy. And here's the thing. Sex isn't about he and it's not about she. It's a we issue. It's to be shared. And when we can unpack it, say talking to a physician, uh, talking about a caring, compassionate counselor to understand what's going on. Is there are there root issues? But to unpack it with gentleness and love and have someone that can step in and guide the conversation that knows what they're doing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm something that um, I felt prompted to share many years ago to Family Life Marriage Conference that my wife and I were speaking at that I want to I feel prompted to share right now is that a lot of women have a perspective of men that they and this is a little later warning here, guys. Um that they only guys just want sex. Mm-hmm. I, I need to say something on behalf of Godward men, imperfect, but Godward men. I feel like crying. I might cry saying this, mm. but I need you to hear this. Your husband may not tell you this, but a Godward man, even imperfect Godward man, mm-hmm. who's a God chaser who loves the Lord with his whole heart. His greatest delight is to see his wife fulfilled in intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. And that is no joking. Yeah. And it's, it's, I want, I just want, I want to speak for the men that maybe have never shared that part of their voice, that that is what they love. And you just knowing that might loosen something that has seized you up. Well, Carl, we surveyed 700, 600 couples for the five sex needs of men and women in eight geographical areas of where we were on syndicated radio. And we asked, what are the top sex needs? For men, the number one sex need of 600 couples was mutual satisfaction. Okay, see, there you go. And, and that, we started, that doesn't get talked about. No, and we started calling some of the respondents going, what do you mean? And, and here's essentially what we learned is that guys want to be good at everything. They want to, and, and they want to see, careful here, Carl, but I'm going to be clear. They want to see that woman absolutely pleasured. Yes. And it's healthy. Well, that's the number one sex need for men. Yeah. And, and, and it, but, 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 but uh, the word on the street is no, it's no, all about them. You're not right. with a Godward man. Yeah. Not with a Godward man. And so a man wants to know, and which means that a wife's affirmation and esteem and encouragement and uh, is so powerful to a man that will draw a man into that physical intimacy because a guy feels inadequate. We feel inadequate at just about everything we do. 
And that goes back to Shanti Feldon and what we talked about in the first hour is that most men feel inadequate. So when a guy does, whether it's putting up the, the light deal or in the physical intimacy within the marital bed, what a guy wants to know is he is adequate and that there's appreciation. It's, it's, you're on to it. I mean, it's strong and it is really, really true. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.